MD Radio MD.com. Better nutrition. Avoid diseases. Lose weight. Remove toxins. Feel better. That's clean eating. It's time for the Clean Food Network Show. Here's Lisa Davis. Here on Clean Food Network, we like to help people learn how to get great food that's healthy and clean and fresh and organic and all that good stuff. And sometimes you think you might be eating some really clean food and then you find out, wait a second, this real food is actually fake food. So here to expand on this is a fantastic Larry Olmsted who joins us now. Hi, Larry. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Your book, Real Food, Fake Food, Why You Don't Know What You're Eating and What You Can Do About It. So, Larry, give us a little bit about this in terms of what are some of the main foods that we need to go, huh, wait a second, if I'm eating this in a restaurant, how do I know it's actually real? And then what can we do? Because it's very frustrating to order, for example, a lobster roll and find out there isn't any lobster in that lobster roll. Yeah, well, especially in restaurants, um, seafood is one of the biggest categories of um uh, menu mislabeling where um, you're intentionally sold uh, a lower value species than the one you ordered. You know, you ordered a typical fish that are substituted would be things like red snapper or grouper that are expensive um, premium fish and also happen to always be wild caught fish. And um, um, a lot of times what they substitute and serve you is something like tilapia, which would be an inexpensive farm fish. Um, or uh, in the case of red snapper, a lot of times tile fish, which is uh, high enough in mercury to make the FDA's do not eat list for pregnant women. So people think that they're you know eating this healthier, clean seafood protein, but they might be getting something else altogether. And you know there's not there's nothing you know generally wrong with the idea of aquaculture, but a lot of people, if given the choice, don't want to eat farm fish. And um, when when it's substituted that way, you don't really have the choice. No, you don't. I mean, my first inclination is to say, unless you really know the restaurant well, don't go there and, you know, don't go to especially, I would say, more of a fast food kind of place and get food or even like a chain restaurant. Do we want to be careful, it sounds like? Yeah, actually, a lot of this is happening even at the higher end because, you know, your fast food restaurants won't be offering um, expensive fish like a Red Snapper or something. Um, So... You know, I think when you, you know, when you stop at like a fast food drive through you get a pretty low quality of food, but you sort of get the food you expect, you know, and you pay $2 for a sandwich. Sure. Um, uh, you know, so, so it's, to me, it's worse when you go to kind of a fine dining restaurant and you pay $38 for, for a seafood entree and it's not what's advertised. Um, you know, and, and it, it's hard in a restaurant because one of the reasons why seafood fraud is easy to perpetrate is because... Uh, once you take pretty much any white fish and fillet it and cook it and cover it in some sauce, it looks the same. So, uh, you know, I like to ask what uh, who the distributor is. If you're a good restaurant and you're serving something like Red Snapper or Grouper that's expensive, you have to be ordering that intentionally from a somewhat reliable seafood distributor. So they need to know who that is. If you ask the waiter, oh, you know, what distributor do you get your seafood from, you might not know the name of the place, but if they answer, I don't know, that's a big red flag because that means they're probably not getting good fish. Uh, okay, that's good. Let's move on to beef. You hear a lot about Kobe beef these days. And according to you, is it 99.9% of Kobe beef sold in the United States is fake? Well, in, in excess of 99%, I would say there's there is so little real Kobe beef produced in Japan, about 3,000 head a year, which is, you know, would be like a medium-sized cattle farm. 
Um, and that's for the entire world. 90% of that never leaves Japan, and of the little bit that's exported, that's the 300 roughly cattle that go worldwide, more of it goes to places like Macau and Hong Kong and Singapore than the U.S. It's so scarce that the Kobe beef producers, they have a, a marketing council, they actually license individual restaurants to import and serve the meat, and there's less than 10 places in the U.S. that have that, that right. So um, when hundreds of restaurants across the country have Kobe beef burgers and sliders and steaks on the menu, but except for these uh, eight or nine really specialized high-end steakhouses, they're all lying. Oh, my goodness. See, it seems like somebody should be in uh, in on this, right, that the FDA should say, OK, you can't false advertise. So what's going on there with federal regulations and inspections and things like that? Yeah, well, so there's two two different issues with Kobe beef. Um, it's, it's what's known as a geographically indicated food. Uh, the most famous example would be champagne of, you know, something that we, you really associate with a particular place like Kona coffee or Vidalia onions or um, you know, Kobe is a city in Japan. That's why the cat Kobe beef is named Kobe, because that's where it comes from. But the U.S. Uh, trademark law has never re- recognized these geographic designations. So things like champagne and burgundy and Kobe beef go unprotected. So it's actually legal for um, U.S. restaurants to call whatever they want Kobe beef, because the real Kobe beef isn't protected. But it is um, fraud and misleading if they um, deceive consumers into thinking they're getting the Japanese version when they're not. Uh, unfortunately, that's usually got to be settled through a class action suit. There's no Kobe beef police going to go arrest the restaurant tour. And um, also, most of the labeling laws that we're familiar with, the FDA and the USDA, only apply at retail. Restaurants, you know, don't have to, to, to honor those those rules. Then at retail, I mean, I think the USDA actually does a pretty good job with the meat inspection um, but you remember what they're inspecting it for. You know, USDA grading is entirely based on fat marbling. So that's what makes something prime or choice or select is the visual quality of the marbling. It has nothing to do with the actual quality of the beef or what it ate or any what drugs it took. And in this country, the diet uh, and drug use in our cattle is very extensive and very unnatural. You know, I want to move on to olive oil, which I'm such a huge fan of. And I talk about it on the show, the importance of eating our healthy fats like extra virgin olive oil and coconut oil and avocados and things like that. And uh, recent studies have shown that 75 to 80 percent of the extra virgin olive oil sold in the United States is not extra virgin and often not even olive oil. That is shocking. Yeah, well, it's mostly is olive oil um, in the past. I mean, there have been lots and lots of cases of adulteration where it's olive oil is either cut with cheaper oils like soybean oil or peanut oil or corn oil or canola oil um, or otherwise doctored or colored. Um, But the testing has gotten better for that. So what's more common is it's just a lower grade of oil. Extra virgin is supposed to be, you know, the 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 most premium. I like to say like when you pull up to the gas pump and there's regular premium and super premium, Extra virgin is supposed to be that super premium top grade of quality of olive oil. And uh, when I was in Spain, which is the largest uh, olive oil producing country in the world, an expert there told me that maybe 8 to 10% of the oil that is produced should qualify as extra virgin. Uh, but in this country, almost all the olive oil you see is, is labeled extra virgin. It's, it's hard to find stuff that is not. So um, that's usually just uh, grade inflation. And what you're getting is uh, less taste and, and potentially less of that good nutrition. 
You know, it's interesting too, because I went recently, I had a meal at a restaurant in my town, you know, sounded like a nice restaurant. And they said it was cooked in olive oil. And I immediately had this like scratchy throat reaction. Well, I'm really sensitive to anything with sunflower seeds. And all of a sudden, it seems like every label I read has sunflower oil in it. And I'm convinced that even though they said, oh, no, it's just olive oil. I'm thinking that's exactly what happens when I eat sunflower seeds. So I so I'm sure it was cut with it like you're talking about. Yeah, they actually did a separate test just for the food service industry. And, and they did not fare well. I'm not surprised. Now, we only have about a minute left. I have to ask you about this uh, 100% Parmesan sold in the United States that's cut with everything from cheaper cheeses to wood pulp. I mean, what the heck is going on? Well, I think when you buy a tube that says 100% grated Parmesan cheese, you have to take it very literally. It's 100% grated. That's what the 100% is. Um, uh, <laughs> it doesn't refer to the cheese itself. Um, but the, it, it, grated cheese is uh, have cellulose, which is a vegetable fiber. It's been called wood pulp and sawdust. It's, it's a fiber. It's not bad for you, but it also is not milk. It's not meant to be in cheese, and it's widely used. Uh, sometimes up to 20% of the content of that grated cheese could be added cellulose. You know, Larry, I have to let you go. I hope you'll come back because we barely scratched the surface. Larry, tell us quickly where we can find you. Uh, my book is on the bestseller list, so it's widely available. Stores, Amazon, audiobook, ebook, everything. And my website, realfoodfakefood.com, has links to buy, but also a lot of additional information on this topic from other resources. Well, I am a huge fan. Larry, everyone, thanks for listening. Take care and stay well. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo.